morning. There is about a solid 12 minutes of DCU talk and James Gunn talk at the beginning of this conversation. So if you're here for Ant-Man stuff and you don't give a mother what about the DCU that James Gunn is building, just jump ahead. Jump on forward, I'd say about 12 minutes, and you'll catch the back end right on into the start of the show. Thanks for tuning in to Morons of the Multiverse. Drax, hit it. I get it. She has flips and stuff. We may be If we say that, they won't keep listening. Morons of the Motherverse. Yeah, we're going to have to start getting ahead of gun now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Dude, yeah, I mean, so luckily we got our phase one out before he announced his phase one. No shit. And they're not that similar. No. <laughs> did you Did you get much more of a chance to look any of that over? Even I looked like, up the lineup, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's a, it's a very James Gunn lineup. It's a lot of D-listers, a couple of this big studs, and I like that he's just leaving Matt Reeves alone over there. And yeah, just, he's like, yeah, I trust you. Yeah, just do your thing. Yeah. We'll get we'll do some more some bat adjacent stuff around here for a while without really going balls on the bat. Cuz I do think you can actually go a while without having a Batman connected to your DCU and be fine. Oh, for sure. If you build up those D-list characters, yeah. absolutely. That's then, where the, all the gold is. Because uh, then it's going to feel a lot like we're going to feel when the X-Men finally land in the MCU, where it's like, oh, now a bunch of other heavy hitters get to join this already well-established thing. It's the, the, the most clever way to get away from having to do Avengers movies every five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. It'll be weird one day awaiting a new Avengers movie. And it'll have been like eight to ten years. And you're like, oh my fuck. They did it. Crazy they bastards. Fucking <laughs> they fucking did it. Yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to see what this first phase James is building is building toward. Gods yeah. and monsters. And, you know, a couple super-centric stories, a bunch of weird D-listers, um, the Amanda Waller thing. Like, it's all really interesting. Fucking still proud of the Amanda Waller call. Still, still pretty pumped that that basically um, landed, like, one for one. There was another one there that uh, I believe you had called as well, and I can't think of it oh, for some... Oh, it's what they're doing with Wonder Woman. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck yeah, that's this! Do that! Spot on. Hell yeah! Yeah, feeling good. Yeah. I would. You know what's going on in James' mind. Vaguely. So now we need to know. I don't think I ever could have guessed a couple of those projects, though. You could have given me a hundred guesses for those two groups that I literally don't know. No, it wouldn't have even come close. I can barely remember them now. I'm also fascinated by his description of what he's doing with the two the lanterns. Mm. That was another one lantern series. Yeah, I had, but mine is, I, I was going goofball. I was going like another Suicide Squad slash Guardians vibe. And he's like, no, there's going to be a true detective vibe. Like, what? Oh. You still called it as a series. I did still call it as a series. But that's been like rumored at fucking HBO for years too, though. Let me tell you something. 
they better pay up the big bucks to bring in McConaughey. You start pulling around things like that, saying true detective, you need to bring in the real true detective. I think they're going young. No, no. He's going young for everything. Oh, grizzled Matthew McConaughey. Hey, hey. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. All right. I'm looking forward to McConaughey finally doing one of these superhero movies in whichever universe, because he'll just be a ridiculous character at this point. He looks so old now that I think he could pull off Owen Wilson's dad. (laughs) 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 Yes. Do you see him in Dallas Buyers Club? Like, whole. I I understand what he did for the role and everything, but he looked old as fuck. Looked old as dirt still, for sure. Imagine him and Owen Wilson. That discourse. (laughs) The Mobiuses. The Mobiuses. The Mobiis. The Mobiis. The, the oh, Mobius. The Mobies. The Mobii. Oh, not Moby. Not Moby. But they could be on a jet ski together. Ooh, nice. All right. Like a little father-son. Little know, father-son outing. jet ski ride? Yeah. Nice. Totes adorbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just a, all right. All right. All right. These jet skis are all right. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Wow. <laughs> it's like a uh, living, like... Yakety sacks, but if it wasn't that, it's great. Did you see that they basically? I mean, they're doing this with everything now, but like you've got the DC universe and like the Marvel format now. Well, yeah, that, yeah, naturally. I do respect that he keeps including video games in his referencing. When he when he keeps talking about their their continuous universe, he keeps insisting that he plans to use the same actors for animation, video games, and live action. So, like, there will be one person playing blank. I also think it's interesting that they label them as Universe Reset, Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters. And then DC Elseworlds. So Elseworlds is all the stuff outside of their canon, is what yep. you're saying. Yeah, so that's your Matt Reeves, Batmans, Joker, etc. Joker. Et yeah. Teen Titans Go. Not thrilled to put them in that category. I think that they could make Teen Titans Go and find a way to silly, you know, silly it up and throw it in with the uh, some of the other stuff. I think you probably could. But at the same time, he probably wants to fresh cast all of those characters from the Teen Titans into next something. No, no, no. Teen Titans go. I don't care about the Teen Titans. Only the go version? The go version. Yeah. The kids version. Yeah, no, the kids version, that's the best one. I agree with you on this. One of the best cartoon shows, period. Go is great. Animated. I'm not here to uh, dissect or disagree with that opinion at all. But, you know, if you're going to bring Teen Titans to live action in his own small way down the road, I think he'll want live action versions of these characters that could introduce along the way. But who knows? James uh, Gunn's a madman. We'll find out. Teen Titans are uh, they're too OP for him, man. He can't handle the Titans. He wants a dude that's like half alligator, half man. <laughs> it's he's interesting like, that, he's got sw- that he's getting the Swamp Thing movie in, phase one too, in his phase one there, too. I don't think that that's that was one of the least surprising ones for me. That's I mean, I, right in his wheelhouse of like, I want to have my hands all over this fucking thing. I could see Swamp Thing and James Gunner. Like, yeah, no, you're right about you're right in that regard for sure. It's just, uh, I guess, it, like in the midst of a bunch of A listers and D listers, he found a B minus lister, something like that. So you know, I guess that's like the middle ground here. So yeah. like he's cause he's got his couple A list projects, he's got a couple D list projects. And that's like his B minus. He diversified. Yeah, no, I, dude, I love this league. I think I think it's really fun. 
I'm pumped up to see what James Gunn does, and I hope they don't lose faith if he has one or two bad box offices early. He's going to. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, that's going to happen. But y'all need to be patient. Let this thing unfold. I'm excited to see what unfolds, man. It's it's real interesting. Um, James Gunn's a fucking genius, and we love him here. Yeah, he does no wrong by me. I love James Gunn. I can't think of a... Uh, and seriously, he must be enamored by that Flash movie to for this to, like... He's still yeah. hy- hyping behind it, and he says he's had several meetings with Ezra, who seems to really be embracing their therapy. And I hope that's right, man. I really do. I do believe in second chances, but, like, this feel... It's weird to me, man. It feels like there's some kind of weird contractual obligation behind this. And yeah, there's something we don't know point. about in one of the contracts that's preventing them from scrapping it. It feels like there's a dirty reason mm-hmm. this is finding its way to light. It's like DC had a contract, and it's like, the only time that we void your, you know, void your contract is when you actually break the law over 20 times, and some of it is seditious behavior. No, oh, but- wait, nobody expected that to happen, and it did. Right. But, like... They scrapped Batgirl to save money on taxes. So, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I've also, I, I also read a thing from Peter Saffron that he said people should be grateful that didn't reach the light of Eric, the light of, uh, the light of day because it's bad. He said he saw it and it's not watchable. Oh, that was good. a direct quote from him. And you know, that's Gunn's partner. I trust the guy. So, like, if, I guess if that's his opinion of it, I have a tough time seeing how because of Brendan Fraser love and Michael Keaton love over here. But, like, if he thinks it was unwatchable, then I guess he's, that we got saved by the taxes. And furthermore, I don't think Gunn would let it see the light of air if he, if he didn't think it was good. No, I would. Yeah, no, that's it would be counterintuitive. Like, you can't go into this either thinking, because I want to, that DC is basically like, James, we paid you so much money. You do what we tell you to do, but we're going to give you free reign of picking what else you do. Right. Like, they gave him free reign. There's no reason yeah. for him to take this job because Marvel will pay him just as much. Scrap what you need to scrap, keep what you want to keep, and let's get to work. Yeah, period. Yeah. So, you know, and again, if you don't think that Marvel cared that much about James Gunn being a part of their vision, think no more after his own embroilment in, again, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, like, Disney came running back. Yeah. A they- controversy from his past caused the uh, caused the gut reaction of theirs to walk away at first and yeah they can't they forgave and to be fair gun addressed it very directly and I, I give gun credit for that as well because he did you know some some people would just throw up the oh god I said it so long ago and we're just, just and would like right. be quote apologetic without giving a real apology and I felt that gun's apology came off as authentic personally maybe yeah. I'm biased because I like him so much as a creative but I felt that that was a person who made a who, dumb statement a long time ago who took ownership of said dumb statement and moved forward. For sure. Yeah, he's... Uh, even before that, James Gunn, I, I don't think that this, in the way that he responded to people on Twitter, because obviously that's where we're talking about here. Yeah. Our non-existent, or real-life existent, you know, hellscape. Um, but, like, it's not like James Gunn was going on Twitter and talking like that in the first place. We're, we're talking about... Like, years ago. This is somebody who's already gotten past that. Yeah. Like, it's not like he was a bad person in hiding or something like that, and then all of a sudden he got caught, and now he's, you know, repenting for it. 
Like this is somebody who very clearly at one point decided that it was better that he not, again, respond that way or talk that way um, or have those same mentalities. So, I yeah, I don't think it's even just a bias. It's just common sense. The way a person atones matters. Sure. For sure. Very humble in the way that he's gone about it. But yeah. I, I hope that his statements about Ezra aren't press and that he genuinely feels that way. For sure. And I hope that Ezra is getting the help that they they need. Yeah. And I hope that Ezra finds a way post-therapy or throughout the therapeutic process to try to make a genuine amends for their actions because their actions were severe and hurt people. Yeah. To those people, obviously. Is yeah, what to, we're referring to those to. people. I'm not saying yeah, yeah. I don't I don't mean to us <laughs> the fans or, or to DC whatever. or to Whomever, like I, I mean, to, specifically to the people who were affected by their actions. Yep, that's. I agree. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Morons of the Multiverse. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good evening, everybody, or daytime, or whatever time it is. Yeah, whatever time you're listening to this, have a good one. I, I somehow was not expecting that, but uh, nor was I. It just like I just felt it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Had to just follow my instincts, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Gotta get my eyes a little watery from that. In fact, Can't, really got myself worked up on that. Yeah, you, you're just coming out of a fit there, and then all of a sudden that comes. I was like, what? The? Ooh, wow! Yeah, he, wow! He's, he's, he's spiced up tonight. I'm spicy tonight, for sure. Yeah, spicy. A little spice on this because we are talking about one of my absolute favorite heroes in the MCU tonight. He's a man. He is a person who, in my opinion, doesn't get enough respect put on his name when we talk about the MCU in the past six years. Some people speak small about him oh so nice yeah a s- small well done that's god that's such a bad joke i love you for that so much oh, i love like you so tic-tac. much you're the best it's like a little tic tac he's a little guy a little guy just a little guy we're talking about scott lang here tonight folks the ant-man ant-man that's right so as if you've ever listened to morons of the multiverse as you know i am an ant-man truther I am out here spreading the gospel repeatedly that both Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp are grossly underrated films when people look at the prism of the MCU. Stupidly underrated. Stupidly underrated, man. They're just so fun. I went back through them again recently, obviously, and I absolutely love them just as much as I did before. If not more, I dare just, they're just fun. You get some Walton Goggins sprinkled in there. That's always a treat for me. (laughs) (laughs) I love him. There's so many great side characters in both these movies. Oh, that's wonderful. So much comedic action going on. So many good laughs. Luis, as you know, again, if you've ever listened before, you know how much we love Luis here. He's an all timer. Line for line in there. Yeah. He, the League of Extremely Ordinary Gentlefolk, might as well be named after Luis. Like, with, yeah, there's basically a statue of him outside of the league hall where they gather. It's, it's, it's a trio. Yeah, it's him and Morris, I assume, as part of your trio. Trevor Slattery. God, Trevor's not the third. You wish. Yeah, yeah. but if, if I had to, because, we, you know, Morris is a lot of things. Mainly he's a creature, though. So he's kind of sitting on Trevor Slattery's shoulder, right, and so Happy Hogan's on. He's the second pillar. Uh, Happy Hogan deserves to be one of the pillars. For for me, it's like Louise, Happy, Darcy, Woo, 
And then we go like Trevor Morris, probably. Speaking of Wu. Speaking of Wu, another Ant-Man character. Yeah. Not like another character that we... Uh, his, his stuff in Ant-Man and the Wasp is just so great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying this in a truthfully loving way, but like it's also funny how they both happen to be Asian characters, but we got... We, we need a season of Wu. We're not getting enough. Like, we got season of Wong going. We got a season we of need, Wong. We need We're ready more for more se- Wu. Season of Wu. I think we've got more Wu on the horizon. I think so. I think so. I mean, he's in a perfectly good place. Oh, man. He'd be an interesting one to see, like, deal with a scroll version of themselves at some point. Yeah. We could, like, you know, he's high enough up in the FBI that he could definitely get scroll taken over. He could be a scroll. Could be a scroll. I hope not. Because he's just so delightful. If he's a scroll, he's a good one. Very delightful after Ant-Man and the Wasp. Just saying. (laughs) Just saying. But you know, you can never have. You can never go wrong with having more woo. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I am spicy tonight, and you are punny tonight. Bringing the heaters with the bad jokes. I love it. Yeah, I've I've had a whole day of people today. So (laughs) whole day of people. Wow, that'll do it right there, too, folks. I tell you what. Don't deal with people. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> it's not it's a trap. Yeah, it's not good for you. Not good for you. But Scott Lang is good for you. He's great for you. Pa- All right, so let's just uh, address the elephant in the room. Paul Rudd. Don't talk enough about Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is fucking fantastic. Yeah. He's wonderful. He doesn't age, apparently. He's yeah, he's the, a demigod. Looks the same as he did 30 years ago. I look like a half out the crypt. If anything, he looks more handsome than he did 30 yeah, years he's, ago. Like, he's he looks just better. Gets better and better looking. And it, it's, I, I'm just thrilled for him. I Me too. really love Paul Rudd. I was very excited when they <laughs> announced that Paul Rudd was going to be in anything Marvel related. Because I was just like, how are they going to fucking do this? Oh, yeah. When I heard Paul Rudd was cast as Ant Man, A, I knew very little about Ant Man. And. B, I love Paul Rudd, so I was thrilled to have him coming into the MCU. And immediately, the I, so I actually dragged my girlfriend at the time to the theater to see Ant-Man. She had only seen one other MCU movie, um, which was Winter Soldier. No, I'm sorry. It was Guardians. So she she'd seen two. She had seen Winter Soldier and Guardians, two of the best. Fair enough. So, you know, because I, I was trying to seduce her into it, and I didn't want to start with, like, Iron Man would have been a good starting point, but then Iron Man 2 would have been such a letdown that I didn't think I could keep her enthralled past that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll get her into, like, the best of the best. And then I was just so optimistic that Paul Rudd was going to deliver an Ant-Man that I brought mm-hmm. her to the theater for it. He brought the goods. He brought the goods, but we ate an edible, and she took a nap. Oh, boy. So, yeah. So, and, you know, that's that's partially my fault. I, uh, I, I like weed edibles before I go to movie theater sometimes. And uh, she fell asleep. Yeah. It's okay. I can't blame her. It happens that's to the fun. best of us. But I had a great time. But, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I like it. Uh, I uh, immediately mixed up Ant-Man with Adam Ant. And uh, so I'm like, Adam Ant. That'd be interesting. <laughs> That'd be interesting. But instead, we got Scott Lang and Ant Man, and what a ride it's been! And well, we're going to talk about that, aren't we? We are. That's that's yeah. the that is the intention. So let's start at the first Ant Man movie. Yeah, great place to start. The beginning. Um, <coughs> we get introduced to Scott Lang as someone getting uh, freshly getting out of prison. Uh, we find out that he basically did some like Robin Hood type shit and uh, ro- digitally robbed a rich person and dispersed their wealth. And got caught doing so, and spent some time in prison. We get a hilarious scene. Uh, here's the thing I love about the Ant-Man movies as well. They do an interesting job 
very subtly, because, you know, it's a Disney slash Marvel project, so you can't go heavy-handed with a pro-prison reform message. But they do, a, they do a good job of subtly pointing out what a pain in the ass it is. <clears throat> Man, I'm raspy tonight. They do a good job subtly pointing out what a pain in the ass it is for convicts to get jobs, essentially, afterwards. Yeah. Um, Baskin Our society doesn't do well with giving people chances at redemption. They also don't do very well with the prison system. Yeah, the prison system. Because it's not set up to reform or help you. It's there to punish you. Yeah. Congratulations. You guys have done a great job and made a lot of money. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, yeah the, the prison system is a whole con job in its own, and we can get into that into a, in a podcast that's not about Marvel shit, because, you know, you Marvel listeners probably don't want us to go deep into these politics, so we won't. We'll save you that. But yeah, that's a that's a thing I've always liked about these movies, just on a side tangential note. He gets out, he's raving to his buddy Luis, one of the best characters of all time in a van, about how excited he is to see his daughter, and Luis basically explains how bad life's been for him since he got out of prison. Yeah, it's not been great. But he got a van. Sweet van. Sweet van. Oh, the van, and, though. And the that's van. the that van is just a treasure. We don't talk, uh, carries no. through four movies. We don't talk enough about it. It is a very important piece of the movies period question is there aside from the quinjet which is probably the number one answer here this is probably the second most influential vehicle in any marvel movie into like in the mcu in its totality right i would argue it is number one it I mean, because of the time travel. Fucking quantum tunnel. Yeah, because of <laughs> its use in Endgame, particularly, you could w- definitely win that argument. I would, yeah. I mean, the Quinjet's sweet <laughs> and it gets them moving around and, you know, that kind of thing. It's got all sorts of t- tech in there, but this is a fucking quantum tunnel. Yeah, no, it's. it's <laughs> in- <laughs> With the horn that goes. It couldn't have had any different horn. No, it's the perfect one. It's great. Um, it's the first Luis Ramble and a long one to boot. And I love that for him. It's beautiful. And we get the, we get a sense of who Scott is very quick as he's gets kicked out of the Baskin job because Baskin always finds out. Always. That's, that's a line we get several times through the movie is that Baskin always finds out. But hey, you can grab one of those uh, orange, what is that, orange smoothies? What is he? Oh, God, what was it exactly? It's like an orange smoothie or yeah, something. So, yeah. You can grab one of those on your way out. I, I won't say anything. <laughs> like, I really like it, what you did, sticking it to the man. Yeah, but Baskin Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> Baskin Robbins, though. They always find out. They always find out. Uh, then we also meet Judy Greer, who plays his ex-wife and mother of his beautiful and wonderful daughter, Cassie Lang. Um, and her boyfriend at the time. I think husband by then. Was it husband I, I think by it's then? husband. I don't, Good call. Yeah, I think it's husband. Yeah, but, it had been time since he'd been in prison. Right. Um, so I think it's husband and great couple. And you can tell they just want what's best for Cassie. For they're, sure. They're being confrontational with Scott, but that's because Scott shows up unannounced somewhere and doesn't have a job yet, as he was asked to do. And he's struggling, as we mentioned. It's a difficult process getting out of prison and finding work. He's struggling to do so, but he also misses his daughter, his number one motivation, while he was in prison. And if you've never been part of a co-parenting situation, it's tough as it is. Um, you know, and you get into that area where, like you said, you see it's been an elapsed time of years since he's been away. 
and it makes it very tough on you know on the child in the first place so people get really fucking protective it's one of the things where like they did a great job without making Scott overreact yes. um, and act like it's something that he shouldn't understand because realistically, as much altruism was in defrauding a bunch of billionaires, like which is great, I'm cool with it, not great at the expense of your own child. So they have a very good right to be that way. Yeah. And they did a great job not making it seem like it was wrong. And because, you know, they're... <laughs> The way that they're feeling, the way that that those moments are, it is, it's justified, and I don't think Scott at any point really detests that. They play co-parenting very well across these two movies, being Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp, respectively. Yep. Um, I love the transformation from the first to the second. We'll talk about that when we get to Ant Man and the Wasp. Mm -hmm. But those are the early conflicts that basically lead Scott into taking up one of Luis's tips to go rob somebody. He tries to resist it at first. He's trying to go down the straight and narrow, but he sees a path to maybe seeing his daughter quicker, and he finally caves, as humans do, and he takes it. Yeah. And boy, howdy, does it backfire. <laughs> so he goes on this mission. It's a sure thing, as Luis describes in his second amazing rant of the movie already. Mind you, we're already only 20 minutes into this movie by this point, tops. Two amazing Luis monologues already. They go to this house. It's an abandoned house, old ass safe, and then they find out, oh no, it's a top of the line old ass safe. But tell me what Scott does, because he does some pretty clever stuff there. Uh, at some point, Scott basically drills a hole in it. I'll get into the diagnostics, because I'm great with that. Um, and then uses some kind of frozen concoction to basically blow it up and knock the door off, um, which is above average burglary. Burglary. Very above average. He is a burglar. Okay, he wanted His to make burglary sure burglary is good. It's very good. Um, but by blowing, you know, blowing that off there, he he did exactly what Mister Pym was looking for. Yep. We find out he was being watched the whole time, and it was all a setup to see how he would do stealing it. And then he gets him to put on the suit. It's time for the suit. Time for the suit. The first run through the suit was up to that point one of the cooler visual things Marvel had done. Like the shrink down in the shower, the cascade of water coming from the faucet, falling through the grate, winding up in the dance club. The whole run of this first small run is so cool looking and is some of the cleanest CGI Marvel's ever had still. Oh, for sure. Actually, in both movies, I think they did a really good job with it. Yeah, I agree. And they they uh, they play with the size thing in different ways in both movies, which is fun too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the bathtub. That's just as soon as he gets it, you know, it's a problem right away. Like yeah. you start getting that anxiety, and then also like, oh, this is going to be really fun. Yep. You know, you're not. They're not going to kill off the character right away. So right. yeah, there's no real peril, but there's enough peril to make it fun. And, uh, yeah, that, that whole scene's great. We we find out that he basically got played by Hank Pym the whole time. Which and yeah, Tell me about Hank and Hope. Hank and Hope. Um, <clears throat> at this point, basically only associated by, uh, you know, last name. Um, and even, not even that, but uh, <sighs> Hank is a shrewd old genius who has, uh, you know, obviously gone through a lot of... Uh, 
this kind of training in terms of duping people to, you know, eventually use them for his own personal good. Uh, seems to be a pan, or uh, Hank Pym trait, especially in the comics too. Hank Pym has a very interesting fucking uh, past Hank Pym's history. a fucking spousal abuser at one point in the comics. Yeah, he's rough. <clears throat> Not a great character in the comics. I think the I think Feige and Co made some wise decisions in the adjustments they made to Hank Pym. And with making Scott Lang the more uh, formative front-running Ant-Man from the grip, and not doing like a Pym version yeah. first, like we we'll fi- we find out more throughout this film and and the Wasp about his background and his time in the ant suit. Yeah. But yeah, it's for the best that we dodged a lot of Hank Pym comic stuff. But with Hope, we get uh, Hope Van Dyne. Um, so you know, taking on her mother's uh, you know last name. Um, so clearly the association there is not, uh, you know, not great. It tells you what their relationship is at at that point. Very fractured, um, which seems to be a theme with Hank Pym. Fractured relationships are kind of his thing. Um, whether or not he did, you know, this one on purpose, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but Hope at, in the very beginning just seems very, um, she's definitely got that like spy, you know, vibe going on to her. Like she's doing something other than what she's actually doing. So I think you get that right off the uh, right off the bat, but you definitely tell they're both, you know, strong characters right off the start. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time with them. So um, they're the duo that, you know, the duo that creates or that, uh, that works with the trio of, you know, them and Scott Lang. That's right. So the the, they, they recruit Scott Lang, which winds up incidentally recruiting the other criminals in the process. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> They basically adopted them. They, they they go. There's some training montage action. You find out that Hope is still employed at Pym Tech, even though Hank is no longer in control of the company. Um, she remained working there even after he left. He basically left to protect the shrinking technology, the Ant Man, the Ant Man suit, the serum, etc., because he sees the danger in it. He saw the weapon it could become. Uh, in the wrong hands, so he wanted to make sure it got in no hands. Meanwhile, we meet our antagonist. Darren Cross, who is wanting to do exactly what Hank doesn't want to happen. And intends to sell to this little ragtag group called Hydra. And anybody else that will buy it. And anybody else who will buy it. But he's keeping the fuel source. Gotta come back for more fuel. Because the fuel is what we always need and what we're always fighting for. So why not in here, too? Darren Cross comes off immediately as unbelievably unlikable. Um, oh, so unlikable. Just straight off the bat, I just wanted to punch him. Like, this isn't, you know, Sam Rockwell um, or anything like that, where you're like, you know, he's kind of a douchebag, but I like him. Yeah, um, yeah, he's got panache. No, not Darren Cross. He just seems like a smug ass from the beginning. And you're, finally, you're kind of like, you know what? I kind of understand why Hank didn't want to mess around with this guy. Yep. Like, he was right. So again, within however way, whatever way that his relationship with Darren ended, it, it, from the start, it definitely seemed pretty justified there. Um, but you get your first introduction to him, um, and obviously becomes your you know focal point of a villain. I, and I, I really don't think that Darren Cross was doing anything that was altruistic. He is not an anti-hero in any way. No, There's no, he's no, just a, he is just a straight up good old classic, good old just classic. a bad guy who's a bad guy, bad guy. 
I, I he, he's a villain I like quite a bit in the MCU. Like he's not one of my elite tier ones, no. but he's one I do like quite a bit. He's I thought good. I thought he was a perfectly solid, serviceable villain for an origin story like Ant Man. It's great. The this movie's great too because it's one of the lower stakes movies overall. Like obviously there's a guy trying to sell something to Hydra and that's inherently bad. And like this thing could be WMD level bad if it's sold to the wrong people, no question. But, Which, like, yeah. it never really feels like it's going to hit that level of stakes. No, and it never needs to. No, I and mean, that's we, fine. We end up with the high-level stakes in, there in, the, or in the first place where they start talking about the quantum realm. Yeah. You know, this is where we start getting inklings of that, you know, to begin with. Yeah. Well, you don't even get hints of the quantum... You sort of get hints of the quantum realm, but they don't even really identify it as a realm yet. They don't no. really know what's down there. They just know that if you fuck with the mechanism, you'll sh- shrink into oblivion and just keep shrinking forever and ever and ever. Correct, yeah. They, it's they, going subatomic. Yeah, they, that's all they really know at that point. Yep. Um, we find out later in the movie why they know that, but at that point, we're just led to believe you don't mess with the atomizer or whatever that thing. I think it's just called the atomizer. I think that's literally what the... I think you're what correct. What the doohickey's called. Really, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thing. Um... <clears throat> They plan a heist. Cla- classic heist movie stuff. You get a training montage. You get a heist plan. You pull in some unlikely allies. You got a dope van that makes a cool honk going to be involved. All the pieces are in play. We get some quality time with Cassie Lang as well, additionally. Cute I things hope you ensue. you don't catch him. Yeah, yeah. She's constantly cheering for her dad. Meanwhile, her stepdad is trying to find Scott because Scott is now a fugitive because he got arrested and then escaped in the Ant-Man suit. Mm-hmm. So uh, Scott's full-on fugitive mode. New stepdad trying to catch him. And Cassie this, cheering against new stepdad. I don't think I noticed either how just how much as great of a burglar as Scott Lang is. How often he just gets caught. My guy gets caught a lot, for All sure. All the time. Yeah, I think he's been caught when he's burgled more than he's not been caught. As of the movies, yeah. Yeah, from what we've seen in the films and what we know about his the time he went to prison. Because it doesn't seem like that was like the 20th job he got caught on. Like, no, it seems like he did that once and he got caught. So, like, overall, his record is basically just I get caught at stuff. But you also don't gain knowledge on how to burgle people to that extent by not practicing a lot. Maybe. I don't know. We, we, we're there left- may be an implication here. That, that's fair. There, there's, there's, but I mean, if he burgled a lot, we don't have evidence that he has any of those uh, prizes that he burgled left over or any money to see from it. He blew that safe like mm. wide open. Yeah, with relative ease. With his smarts. He is very smart. You know, that's the thing with Scott Lang that you learn kind of like right on there. He's like very good on the fly too. Yeah. Like yeah, he definitely does better with prepar- or preparation. So, you know, he needs those plans things on, like, the Guardians. Um, You know, they just kind of wing it and do their own thing. Um, But Scott is a quirky and just one of those dudes. I think he said in the movie, too, he was an electrical engineer. He was. The master's in electrical. So this Correct, Amuna, from a pretty good university, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So we're also getting to a point where we realize that, like, all these superheroes and stuff generally are fairly intelligent. Yeah, a lot, a lot of intelligence in the superhero community. Although, to be fair, a lot of the superheroes rely, like, got their extra thing out of being intelligent. So, like, you know, one feeds the other in that regard, essentially. Right. And, you know, we get we get to the big crazy heist. There's some shrinking stuff. There, there, 
the 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 heist was projected along. Darren Cross pulls a double switch and saw it coming. He knew he knew that uh, Hope was dirty. He knew was double crossing him. I mean, not honestly, it was pretty obvious. Yeah, no, she was not a very like. she, her act, what's the actress's name that plays her again? Why am I blanking on? Why am I blanking on it? Uh, a couple blankaroos here. Holy, oh, Evangel- or Evangeline Lily. Lily. Yeah, Evangeline Lily does a great job playing Hope Van Dyne. Hope Van Dyne is not a good actress in front of Darren. She's a terrible mole. Yeah, like, which is, again, good acting by Evangeline Lily that her character with it, like, good... That's successful yeah. good acting if you can successfully bad act as a good actor. It's like a funny, be- weird thing. She absolutely did not want to be doing that. Right, for sure. And you get, yeah, it was written all over. Like, if Darren Cross couldn't see that, then it just would make him look like an absolute moron. But luckily, Louise snuck in in a security outfit and saves the day, knocks out a security guard, and does the thing he needs to do. And, uh, you know, plans go further away. A tank gets enlarged off of a keychain. Plows through a building. Mission successful eventually. They shrink the whole establishment. They steal the thing. But not before a giant fight with Yellow Jacket breaks out. Which is... And by giant fight, I mean tiny fight. It's a tiny fight, but it is so giant. Like they It's do, really good. It, 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 the more that they do that, the more fun we're going to get. Because that's it's such an interesting thing to do. Um, where they can just embiggen... Um, you know, like a, like a racetrack, or they're on the racetrack, and then they're. It's just it, it really messes with you, but it really, really brings you in. And the good again, back to the good CGI. Yeah, when you're able to do that, it makes things like that actually enjoyable. Yeah, and it's such a good blend back and forth between comedy and intensity. You about that scene bounces back and forth a lot between comedy and being intense again. And the comedy, like you get hilarious bits, like um the iPhone starting to play in the briefcase while they're bouncing around in there amongst like other just knickknacks and things during what looks like an intense fight. But then meanwhile, the helicopter gets shot out and they're about to crash. So then they land in a pool and then they enlarge and this family runs away and then they're shrinking and fighting on a train track. Like you mentioned, just the chaos of it all. Um, The yellow jacket dude getting flicked into the uh, bug light. The bug zapping light, but, you know, we see eventually that he, in fact, saved himself from going all the way into the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't a, a fly. Cue up the final bedroom scene for me. You're going to, I'm going to have to have you take the lead on this That's one. That's fine. So the big final scene, as an ant gets supersized to great comedic effect and runs down the stairs at the police. Scott's in there battling Yellow Jacket. He's got Cassie eventually. And... To save Cassie, Scott realizes he's going to have to go subatomic. And uh, he does so and defeats Yellow Jacket in the process, but also disappears from the room for a while. And as he keeps shrinking down, we get some really cool visual stuff and really like psychedelic, weird, trippy stuff. Very Doctor Strange-esque visuals overall mm-hmm. as he shrinks through what we now know to be the quantum realm. Correct. But at the time, again, wasn't really labeled in this film. He's shrinking and you hear Cassie going, Daddy! Daddy, come back! And it's heartbreaking and heartbreaking. And then he plays with the mechanism in there and he shoves the enlarged disc thing into the atomizer and he blows himself back up and gets out of there. Thank you, Derek. The part that I missed, apparently, the uh, the other day. I think it was just like a week ago. So, yeah. No, that's uh, the 
figuring out little his tinkering you know is what allows him to figure things out where uh hank pym would spend you know years trying to figure out how to do something like right. that scott just he looks around for a solution just grabs a thing and tries it right like what's the smartest thing that i could do here or what's the <clears throat> dumbest thing that i could do here and basically goes for it and it works and it gets him out of there and poof and uh, throughout the film, we also found out that Janet Van Dyne had, in fact, shrunk herself down because Hank's atomizer wouldn't shrink, wouldn't let him shrink for some reason, basically to prevent a nuke from hitting the states during the Cold War. Correct. That's basically what we find out her origin is, and that's why Hank's been obsessed with figuring it out ever since, because he lost his wife to shrinking down eternally at the time. But we, by the end of this film, now know she's in the quantum realm. Yep, down there with the tardigrades and whatever else the hell we're going to find out. Indeed, and that's basically the gist of this film. Um, we also see Hope get her own suit at the very end. A little tee up, getting ready for the Wasp. Hell yeah, baby. And what a ride that film is. Good movie. It's a great movie. Um, it's it's definitely, as you said, just like just as a pure watcher, you know, it's just fun to turn on. You can watch it whenever Um not too many high stakes, so you don't have to be fully invested every time you watch it. Yep. But uh, if you are, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah. And you got Luis and the other two goons, and they're giving some good comedic stuff all along the way. Hope being um, annoyed by Scott throughout the film, but eventually they uh, they get all cute and kiss it up naturally. At the end, what does uh, Hank say to him uh, when he catches them kissing or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> Like, will you get your lips off of my daughter? Something yeah, like something some like some, that, some yeah. grouchy old man thing. And he's like, I I didn't. She was kissing me. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, that was inappropriate. Hope cut the shit, Scott. Like they they the only thing that annoyed me in this movie is their gratuitous use of the word shit because they can't say anything else. Yeah, yeah. They they can't say fuck, so they just gotta say shit more. There's, yeah, a lot of shits from Hank Pym towards Scott Lang. <laughs> I would say that that's the only thing that bothered. Michael Douglas gives the goods as grouchy old man, dude. Oh, he's great. He is like, absolutely astonishing. The goods as a grouchy old man. It's awesome. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Uh, unexpected. Uh, oh, one of my favorite MCU characters, actually. Like, I like that grumpy old man. Yeah, he's great. And grumpy old man genius that's lost every... You know, almost, almost everything. You know, and it takes him... You know, too much to figure that out. Indeed. And we missed also back in. So this keep in mind, this movie is back at the end of phase two. The Ant-Man film last movie of phase two. In fact, it comes after Age of Ultron and then is declared the last movie of phase two. And then phase three begins after this. Um, So the crossover type thing happened a lot more reserved in this time. Than it does now, where you can get multiple T ups for multiple projects and things. We got him robbing an Avengers facility and having a fight with Falcon. And keep in mind, at that point, we'd only seen Anthony Mackie in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. So, other than so, pretty inexperienced uh, Falcon compared to where he's at now. Also, not as high tech of one yet. He hadn't fully. He hadn't gotten Red Wing yet. He had the goggles yeah. with the tech and stuff. So he certainly had some of his tech. But Scott he, Lang beats him. And, and keep in mind this: the Avengers facility we find out, or the renovated Avengers facility, happened to be an old uh, an old hangar that Mister Pym was uh, well aware of. Indeed. 
Uh, yep, uh, that that callback comes in in, in Endgame, in fact. More between the, you know, the parallels of Mr. Hank Pym and uh, Stark. Those parallels are great. And that teases us right into, uh, so the next appearance is technically Civil War. We forgot about that when we mentioned all the, the Scott Lang stuff earlier. No, not He's at all. He's only in a couple scenes. So that Scott, this isn't a Scott Lang-centric story. He's uh, he's brought in as a ringer to help on Team Cap. He's there to he's there for Cap. Yeah, he's there for Cap. Oh, it's uh, Cap. Yeah, that's what it's we call just what him. we call him. <laughs> that's outstanding stuff. Uh, thanks for thinking or thank for thanking of me. <laughs> I'm, I'm all flustered, but yeah, I know you too. You're great. Without getting yeah way up, you know way ahead of ourselves here. This is where Scott, again, due to his tinkering, becomes big. I forget, uh, over 65 feet? Yeah, but this isn't the maxed version yet. That was in a practice session that he did the 65 feet. Oh, okay. But this is the first time we physically see the giant man unraveled, and it is a fun party trick he pulls out. I like that. I've got something. It's pretty big, but I can't hold it. Scott Lang, which tees up, which tees up, yeah. So many great lines are delivered in that air that airport scene. So it's hard to give them like all the credit they deserve. But him enlarging tees up one of my favorites, which is Peter Parker being like, "You remember that really old movie Star Wars, <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back?" <laughs> like Jesus, how old is this kid? I didn't carbon date him. <laughs> That little exchange between Rhodes and Tony cracks me up. I didn't carbon date him. He's on the young side. But I think I know what you're getting at. And then they tie his legs and they get they take the giant man down, essentially. Essentially. But, yeah, that... Scott, in his two scenes in this movie, delivers the goods along with the whole ensemble. And by, by Civil War... We're cooking at peak MCU level. Well, like, he- we are at, like, absolute... All guns akimbo. The MCU's firing on every fucking cylinder imaginable. Well, and they're going into what you were talking about, where the team ups. Like you didn't get a whole lot of it before, but you get a whole lot of it here. Yeah, from here and on, you start forming alliances here. Yep. Like we ever Civil War, we God, we could do ten episodes about that movie, but that was. That's the the split point, you know. That's where everything starts to kind of fracture. People it's take still, their. It's my number one MCU movie currently. I, I don't even the know. The more how I to, rethink the list, I, I, the more firm I become that I think Civil War is the pinnacle. I'm honestly, there's like three of them that I just keep interchanging there. But every time I watch Civil War, I think that that's what happens. So, I you may not be wrong there. I'm not going to say it, but you may not be wrong there. It's a, yeah, it's a great ensemble. Uh, everything about it, the emotional beats work. The, the the goofy bits work. The fight sequences are great. Um, and Scott Lang brings just a nice dad. Scott Lang's here for some just flavor. He's he's here along with very young Tom Holland in his Spider-Man debut to just give these mo- that movie flavor. He's a ro- he's a rookie halfback. Yeah. He's coming in. He's taking a couple carries that game. Yeah. You know they know he's got big potential, but he's got to get splashed in a little bit. Let him you know get his lips wet. Maybe play a little special teams. And he played some special teams. Yeah, he did. Out there with Cap. That's right. And, uh, you know, they were kicking he's the, ass. He's the undrafted free agent that's just excited to get in the game. Yeah, he's there. He's just excited to be here. He, he's more UDFA, yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's there, and he is up to the task, even though he shouldn't be there. But that's, 
Yeah. yeah. What, it's the short of it. So him going there sets up the plot of Ant-Man and the Wasp. At least the start of it. At least the beginning of it, which is he's on house arrest. and But this time we get a very instantly different family vibe between he and his ex and the new stepfather and Cassie, where they all just love Scott. They're is, big, big group hugs, and they're oh, all they're all acting like a big per- co-parenting community, and it's awesome. Is this also not the intro where they're riding the giant ant through the house? That is correct, sir. Yes, which is fucking fantastic. It yeah. is so much fun. He is, at this point, like peak dad. He's, peak dad. He, he may be stuck at home. And he's kind of fucked up again, and that sucks, but, like, he's really making up for it. He's got this whole elaborate, you know, ant. I almost said rat. Um, Ant, ant, whatever you want to call it. Um, Ant roller coaster, essentially. roller coaster. Like, he's doing everything that he can do. And, I mean, Cassie, as you can tell, just absolutely adores him. And you got Luis popping in there. Luis? On a call, like, doing very serious business stuff as he gives us some slight exposition about the business they're trying to launch together, X-Con. Like I said, Uncle Luis. Uncle Luis. Absolutely Uncle Luis. But the the family dynamic has changed. You know, obviously now it's, you know, at the end of the movie, I don't think we talked about this, but like towards the end of Ant-Man or whatever, that resolves really well. Like he understands what he did and why he did it. And less from a side of law enforcement. Yeah. So there's that gray yeah. area and the, where the he, cop stepdad gets to see what a hero Scott is. Right. So they all come together then. Yeah. So that sets us up with like like you said the hugs and oh my god three more days and you're done like they're all excited like it's it's a really touching beginning of the movie it um, comes in the music definitely sets that up you know yeah. come on get happy yeah if you uh if you listen to our mcu rankings in fact you'll find i had this partridge family joint relatively high on my list overall because this move this moment really just uh kicks for me it's a really it's a really darn good one but uh, if you haven't heard that episode dial back down our list of good ways you'll find it's one of our earlier episodes in fact we ranked our favorite song drops in the mcu oh yeah oh yeah and this is definitely part of it because it's just it, it really sets the atmosphere for the whole that whole scene and it it, it really is just it sets it for the whole movie let's, let's face it these yeah, sure. movies are just so fucking happy and fun and and I feel, whimsical I, I feel like at the end of the movie that's the that's the way that it fades out if i'm not correct that's the end or before the end credit but anyways so like you said we set the scene here you, you got your major players jumping out in front um Scott's got uh Scott's got his little uh ankle band on. He's got his tether. He ain't going far. So obviously we know, you know, his dealings uh in civil war or civil war have landed him on house arrest. That's right. He's on the house arrest, he's serving his time. We find out he's at the back end of his time. He's only got some days left. Days. That the countdown is on. We meet James Wu. James who Wu. comes in on a house inspection because uh, in the midst of that ride, his ankle with the anklet on broke through their fence and uh, appeared like he had left. So the FBI came and did their full search to make sure and saw the mistake and that all breezed over. And their interactions are so funny right away. He and Paul Rudd have chemistry together, man. Oh, it's great. They're they're as much as, you know, obviously it's a it, it seems very 
somewhat hostile yeah. um, because they're just invading his space for something very minuscule um, in an accident. But their their interactions back and forth, again, line to line, are just great. Um, is that not, I, I believe, where he presents to him how he's learned, you know, uh, shorthand, shorthand magic. magic? Yeah, sleight of hand magic. Uh, that is where that comes up for the first time and is a, gets called back more than once, both in this movie and in a later project, which is just wonderful. Deservedly, but... Yeah, and you can tell Wu, like, right off the bat, like, it's, he went from his, like, dead-eyed stare where it's like, I'm here to come and check on you, I'm the bad guy, and then, like, you can kind of tell that he's into it. Yeah, yeah. But he, he can't say anything. Yeah. Are you asking me if I want to go to dinner? No, why would I ask you that? Well, I don't know. Do you want to go to dinner? I'm, if we could. <laughs> well, I'm glad you went there, because, yeah, I was going to I was gonna do that. I'm like, oh, it's the end of the movie, but it that's that's their, their interactions. Like, like I said, at the end, Wu's just like, oh, yeah, you want to go to dinner? Like... No, is it, like the whole time I'm wondering, are they going to go out and be friends? Yeah, because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, these guys should be friends. The vibe was there, yeah, yeah, for they're, sure. They're very, very alike human beings. So. Yeah, maybe he could be like the law enforcement, um, like advisor to XCon as a company. You know, like you can. There's there's a way that there's a way that these webs can keep weaving with each other for sure. But we, as we advance past that whole montage where we get to meet Wu and find out about the house arrest and all that stuff. Uh, we get to more ex-con planning and all that stuff. And then Scott gets stung by something that floating around. Something tiny floats along and pokes him. And he gets kidnapped by Hank and Hope. Who could have seen it coming? Who could have seen it coming? Uh, they kidnap him. They strap an ant up with his anklet. <laughs> That is programmed to live the type of life that Scott lives every day, which is like two hours in a bathtub, an hour playing an electric drum kit, a three-hour nap somewhere in the middle. Like, just very childish, like, very silly lifestyle Scott's living on his house arrest in that moment. They have a giant ant recreating Oh, here's another question. This actually supports your maybe he pulled more jabs that we know about theory. How is he just living comfortably in this big house on his house arrest without working? The same way that Kevin McAllister's dad could afford that house on God knows what the fuck he was doing. Because we needed him to. So as much as I want Scott Lang to be the burglar that I think that he is, I also doubt it. Yeah, I too doubt it, buddy. I was so, just trying to have you back a little. And where, again, where do they? Where do they live? I, I, I'm. They live in San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, they live yeah. in fucking one of the most expensive cities in in the country. That could literally be a haunted, depicated house. Or dilapidated house, and it would still cost half a million dollars. Yeah. So, to your point, I yeah, I'm like, why, no how does clue. he live in this fucking like really nice house in San Francisco? I don't know. Then but... again, I also think of all the Avengers as having like really ugly McMansions. So like, <laughs> yeah. I you know he's got the Avenger money, like half-ass Avenger money. Yeah. I, so he's I got mean, this I like guess, whatever house. But like, uh... I mean, but I at that point, he doesn't house. even really have Avengers money. He was in. He, he got arrested yeah, in Germany. He, he's got a settlement. He got arrested in Germany. It's fine. He's got, <laughs> that's all that happened. There's something going on that's there. All, that's all that's happened to him Cap, so far. Cap hooked him up. Yeah, I mean, he and Clint took a settlement, basically. You're trying to tell me that, like, in the amount of years that Captain America lived, he never once was like, you know, I know that this that history repeats itself. I'm just going to bet on this stock or something crazy like that. So he's got a ton of money. And he's just like, eh, Scott Lang. I don't know. Falcon and the Winter good. Soldier led me to believe that being an Avenger doesn't pay that well. But maybe that's just with the black ones. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good call. 
Racism, racism, racism. Oh, all of them, they just have to like rise up. So it makes it more. <laughs> gotta pull them up by the bootstraps. Yeah, it just makes it more, you know, that, that's, that's the real struggle. <laughs> God damn it. In America, yeah. you have to actually struggle according to your skin color. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the South Park, the, the last South Park video game that came out a couple years ago determined your difficulty by which skin color you picked. So, like, literally, the darker your skin tone, the harder the game was. And people were, like, outraged. And I was like, I don't know, I think it's kind of a funny commentary. On, it's a sad funny commentary on society, but an accurate one, no less. Uh, welcome to the point. Yeah, right. That's the whole goddamn <laughs> point. But, yeah, people were, like, pissed off about it. And they were just like, yeah, that's the point. And it's, just, it's kind of how fucked up our country is in general. But, yeah, that's that's it. That's the thing you decided to point out. Yep, that was the whole deal. But, yeah, that was. I just thought that was hilarious. And the societal reaction was equally hilarious. Always is. Always is. Uh, they reveal that they've got a MacGuffin they need him to help find. Yes. And uh, the MacGuffin is, in fact, their whole lab. Yeah, which is uh, neatly packed up like a roller case. Well, kind of like Derek's uh, podcast case here. Yeah, it's about it's actually a little bit smaller than that even. Uh, it's a little yeah. smaller, like something that you put your micro machines in or your hot yeah, wheels. And in fact, it's a whole ass building. Yes, it is a very large building. It's a whole ass building that they've shrunk down to like uh, like two by two case that rolls around. And why is it so important again? Uh, that is where their uh, time tunnel is, essentially. That's the, where the they're building to the a quantum realm. Quantum tunnel. They're building, yeah. The word quantum done gets thrown around a lot up in this movie. And it got thrown around a lot for about five years. Yeah, like this, this movie begins it. Well, I'm sorry. Ant-Man begins it, but it's not that severe in Ant-Man yet. Not until like, this You one. get a couple quantum mentions in Ant-Man. This movie... Until Endgame, we're getting quantum with everything. Which is funny. There's quantum pancakes. There's quantum quantums. There's just everything can be quantumized. Quadruple quantums. But it's how you could tell that a lot of people that, you know, would never have claimed to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp because it's a terrible, stupid Marvel movie. We're definitely watching Ant-Man and the Wasp. Because as much as they say it in those other movies, they make reference to it a ton, a ton. in this movie. So, which doesn't bother me. I, I couldn't care less. But no, I, I, I don't care. It's fine. It's just like it's just one of those funny things that like the second you notice it in this movie, it just really stands out because it it's everything is quantum. There's quantum splicers and quantum energy and quantum tunnels. In quantum physics and quantum mechanics and quant like every there's quantum everything 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 is quantum oh boy <laughs> that was a weird matchup oh my even by my standards it, it also a great movie but um, yeah like a movie's good stuff anyways so yeah we're we're we get this little thing and like I said I think in the it probably looks like it might house a bunch of like little toy cars or something but it is not as a giant lab. And becomes the focal point throughout the movie, really. I mean, that's, like you said, MacGuffin. It's basically what they're chasing around for half the movie. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, which is right about the time that, you know, obviously we get our first run in with, you know, with Scott. Uh, the reunion between him, Hope, and uh, and Hank. Um, which is obviously very tense. Which all comes after we did skip a Hank and Hope scene where mm. they met uh, Dick Bag at the restaurant. Oh, and I, got jumped by Ghost basically. For some reason, I was uh, 
I, I had those two things mixed around there, but yeah. Those are before they abduct Scott, because that, that's when they, they need yeah. Scott's help after that happens. That's when you meet uh, Walton Goggins' character, um, who is basically some kind of low-level, you know, gangster, you know, somehow tied in with the government kind of goon. Yeah, hilarious character. He is great. And by the way, Walton Goggins very, is... Very hit. funny foil. I don't even want to call him a villain because it's not, he doesn't even like accomplish enough to really even be a villain. He's, no, he's just a, a foil. Yeah, he's a heel. Yeah, he heel is yeah. an outstanding word. Yeah, he's just... He's there to prevent the heroes from achieving their mission, but like not really... He's not ever really a threat. No, 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 no. He is, in fact, definitely not a threat. If Ghost was not there in that scene, there's no threat. Like, she's kicking all of their ass. There's no problem. That Which, again, is a fucking cool scene. Yeah, the Ghost stuff is very cool looking. Hope uh, is so much more of a clean fighter than Scott. Like, she's so much more precise in the ways that she, like, shrinks down and res back up because of her experience comes through. Yeah. Like the way she runs on that knife in the kitchen and like exactly all that stuff. It's kill like she's so crispy when she's in shrunk down fighting mode. It helps that she has blasters too, to be fair. And but, wings. And wings. Those parts are pretty help- helpful for sure. Albeit I-, I kind of agree with Hank there. Don't give him too much. Don't give him too much. He already figured out what to do when he doesn't have all of that much. Yeah. Like he's making himself huge, you know, he's a detriment to himself. Um, so I would assume Hank obviously knows this and he's like, yeah, Scott's not getting none of that shit. Shit. Um, but the, after that fight scene, I mean, like I said, so they're obviously they're after what what essentially looks like a battery or some kind of power source, obviously for, um, to try to complete this quantum tunnel. Um, They need a quantum battery for the quantum tunnel. And then you get this. They got it in the quantum building that they shrunk down with quantum energy. Mm-hmm. And you get this crazy, you know, crazy ghost uh, who's phasing in and out, and nobody can really quite get a grasp on her whatsoever. And we're off. And we are off. That's right. She jacks the thing, and then they need Scott's help, and they're off to figure out where. And they go meet. Um, no, nah, I was going to call character? him Hank, but... Uh, What's the... Yeah. Uh, uh, Hank and Hank. Yeah. The, the, another angry old man. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne's character. Yes. Uh, <laughs> precisely. They go to meet Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. I mean, it's just grumpy Lawrence Fishburne, basically, <laughs> honestly. But, yeah. No, so me and his character, and he's a professor. We find out that he's a former partner of Hank's, and that he used to wear a suit that made him giant, and we get the whole funny conversation comparing sizes. How big did you get? Oh, I got up to 20 feet. How big did you get? 65. Whoa, that's huge. Hold on for a second, though. It makes so much sense that Hank hates him. Yeah, Because of he is so much like Scott, just on a much more intellectual level. Uh, because they get along fucking great. Oh, yeah. They hit it off like gangbusters, for sure. No right. question. Those two have instant rapport. And if has Scott been in the other, in his shoes, he would have done the same shit. Yeah, like, for sure. I'm 100% positive of that. So those those two are such a reflective of each other and a reflective of or of Hank and kind of the people that he attracts around him. Like, he likes to find people that gravitate towards him, um, but that it can also further him along his ride. Like, And whether that's uh, conscious or subconscious is to be, for, you know, to be, I guess, looked at further or dissected, but I digress. Digression noted, sir. And uh, 
that scene's fun, and Hope has a funny quip about them stopping comparing sizes and like you know dick jokes it's not always dick fun. Sh- it's not a dick showing job yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know d- dick jokes are fun it were it, they land well it's, it's fine not all dick jokes are good but these dick jokes are pretty good yeah, um, it's pretty short yeah we have nice see what you did there hey hey, hey, hey. hey i'm still here uh, by then we've also seen that they have a case of hot wheels cars that they can shrink that they can uh grow and turn into that are real cars that just shrink down and go in this case um I wish they would have. They, 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 obviously, they can't do it, but that would have been a great time to have a little bit of a mashup where, you know, they got some transformers in there. Just turn into a transformer. Yeah, good a time as any. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay gets involved. Shit. No, anything but Michael Bay getting involved in the MCU. Autobots. That's roll actually. Out. I think when Michael Bay gets involved with the MCU is when we'll know the MCU has officially jumped the shark, and that it's over. Like that, that will just be the sign that the MCU is over. That's it. It's the end. We did it, folks. We reached it to the Michael Bay movie. It's over now. There's no further places to go. Yeah, you get the Michael Bay movie and the Nickelback featurette. Oof. God, but Nickelback with walkers at that point. Just like. <laughs> Wings of a hero. It's <laughs> just like two songs combined that are both shitty. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. The lips of an angel and <laughs> wings of a hero and. It's all the same. It's all the same shit. Whatever. Cut it. Print it. Cut Bring the check. It. Let's go. Next. They did do that for a Spider-Man, by the way. I, God, I know. <laughs> Chad me- Kroger. It hey. wasn't even Nickelback full. It was just, no. it was Chad Kroger solo. No, he was there, but with saliva. Oh, God. It was sick. Ugh. What a what a joint. What a joint. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good callback. Oh, man. Here the, for the hits. <laughs> Here for the hits, baby. Gotta do it. Where the fuck are we Since in this I've movie? Since I've sidetracked, Derek. That's good. <laughs> yeah, what, you tell me where we're at in this movie. That that took me right out. Oh, me too. <laughs> we just got done with Lawrence Fishburne. And, uh, we got big oh, jokes, dick jokes. Luis and the uh, other peons, Russian guy and the asshole that we don't talk about anymore yeah he's easy we T. I. We need to talk weird about piece him of shit. yeah i mean he's just a weird piece of shit that's creepy as fuck bro but we get to, we get our first mention from a creepy russian guy a polka dot man about uh baba yaga baba yaga and i now only think of john wick when i hear him say that but it doesn't matter so yeah, the baba yaga stuff is very funny more yeah it, and uh no he's truthfully afraid of baba yaga yeah oh he is for sure like his yeah. parents really fucked him up with yeah, that no he's super afraid of baba yaga for real um our foils that we mentioned earlier find our chaotic trio and give them truth serum but it's not it's not truth serum and then at the end but it is truth serum. It is truth serum. So they give him that, and they figure out where Scott's at. And oh, after, oh, oh after only a whole after, <laughs> only after, only put, Luis. Under- you put the corner in jukebox. You have to head, let whole song play. <laughs> he, Luis, does. Scott's what in a real only, dark place, man. You know, <laughs> he only does what Luis can do, and that is <laughs> find best. a way not to lie and tell the truth the whole time. But you're somehow subconsciously lying. Yeah, but yeah, th- that's the he's great not, part is he's definitely telling the truth the whole time. He's like, yeah, you know, Scott's in a real messed up place, man. He's in, having problems with hope and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like... They just asked the wrong person. Yeah, no, they picked... Yeah, the <laughs> one person you shouldn't have asked is some of the one person they asked would buy some time and then they bounce out to go find Scott and co. Louise calls Scott and says, you got to get home. The FBI is coming for you. They're coming to the crib. He has to bounce and bail. Hope and Hank have to run with the lab. 
but he comes and busts them out of jail eventually, and uh, they develop a plan. They got to get the lab back from Ghost. They got to deal with the other shenanigans. It's a lot going on again. And surprise, surprise, got to call in the homies again. Always. Got to call in the ex-con crew. Like, I've got my guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, Hank's, Hank re- Hank's reaction to calling them is pissed. Vehemently against, the, uh, against dealing with them again. Yep. And only to end up at, you know, ex-con, where we get into a slight debacle about Scott's desk. And how it's garbage. Scott's desk is literally garbage. It's garbage. You like, gave me garbage. You weren't here when we picked desks. I was in house arrest. It's $5 from like an estate sale. <laughs> yeah, that seems really good. They come up with their plan. Uh, Luis and Hope wind up in a vehicle together. Luis gets to drive a shrinky car. Shrinky car. Yeah, and he picks the car that Luis would pick. Yeah, he does. Um, We get some giant things getting thrown around the streets and some cool, really cool car chases. These these are good car chases. Great car chases. Like, uh, if the first Ant-Man movie is a heist movie, which it 100% is, this movie is a chase movie. Um, and it, a lot within, of chasing. Well, there's there's three different groups all chasing each other around as well. So there's a, a lot of pandemonium within the chasing. That scene is right up there with the scene or with the bus, uh, the uh, bus scene in Shang Chi. I think that action sequence is just fucking brilliant. Yeah, uh, both in the streets of San Francisco. Yep. Yeah. Familiar territory, but all the same. I mean, it, it's always great for chase scenes. So. Like, yeah, you got you got heavy hills and a bay view, and like, yeah, it all works. It's got sure. everything. It's got it all. Got it all. Boy, baby, it's got it all. Oh, my goodness. Wow. 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 Yeah, you look out in the bay, and there's Owen Wilson riding by <laughs> on a jet ski. It's glorious. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> With old-ass Matthew McConaughey. It's fine. Everything's going great here. <laughs> That's my son. <laughs> Back to task. We've uh, Hey... Hope's dealing with ghosts a lot. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Scott plays decoy for ghosts at one point and draws her into a fight and stuff so that she thinks that they've got the lab when really Hope runs off at the lab. Can and again, the MacGuffin gets passed around a lot. Sleight of hand. Yeah. Um, what? What's the foil's name again? Why am I blanking on that character's name right now? It's Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins. Yeah. So it won't, he's got the lab. A co- he either, and his but. cronies have the lab a couple different times. Ghost has it a couple different times. Hope gets it back a couple different times. And meanwhile, we we also have learned up to this point that they're on a timer in order for the quantum line, the quantum timelines to line up at the quantum moment at the quantum rightness and with the quantum tunnel in order for the quantum things to quantify in the quantum way correctly in order basically to get Janet back. But there's a whole lot of like quantum talk to like explain Aru why they're on a timeline to do this. Yeah. Sunny Birch, by the way. Sunny Birch. Nice. Good Google skills. Proud of you. I'm quick. Quick. So swift. <laughs> so they're trying to get this done in time because they're not going to have another chance like this for five years or something like that if they don't get Janet out in the next hour in the midst of this whole chasing around and rigmarole. Which ends up being a lie. Lies. All lies. Uh, eventually, Sonny gets on a boat with the uh, whole entire uh, MacGuffin. I'm just going to keep calling it the MacGuffin at this point to make my life simple. Scott turns giant and chases it like a whale. Which is great. Great scene. 
plucks him up, plucks it out of Sonny's hands, but then gets faint and woozy in the water after getting the lab back to the land safely where Luis and Hope are. Hope dives in, saves him. They do a really good job um, on subject, off subject, of kind of showing how much energy it takes once he goes big. Yes. Um, He's always eating. Yeah. Always. And I still don't think he eats enough. No, no. Uh, you know what? Sh- you know what actually does a great job with this type of explanation. The Flash television show goes in like they developed it like a super high caloric like paste essentially for him to eat nonstop because normal food just doesn't provide the amount of calories needed to like, run around the world repeatedly at top speed. Same no. t- basic principle with going sixty-five feet tall. You're gonna lose all, use a lot of energy doing that, and a lot it's going of to yeah, that's that's gonna take its toll. And that's a it's a great way of incorporating the little things that people. I mean, as much as I hate putting it this way, but critics would shit on all day. Oh, it's stupid. He didn't even eat a bunch of food or pass out. Or, stupid. Well, I know how that works. None of you know how it works, but it's it's great that they incorporate little things like that no. to keep away from that distraction. Number one, but number two. That's literally how it would be. Yeah. So, but we're also talking about a man that's sixty-five feet tall. That's in the you know bay uh, bay area. They're coming after a large you know a boat with uh, Sunny Birch on it. In that's a right. Tiny building. That's actually a big building. Yeah. Uh, they get that back and ghosty things. Otherwise, we reach a climax with with ghost where. Uh, so they get the lab back. I'm sorry. So they get the lab back. They re-enlarge it. They go down. Uh, they get Hank down in the quantum tunnel successfully. Uh, he's down in there through this whole chase. I'm sorry. He's down in there. They need to re-enlarge it to yeah. get him back. Yep. So he's been down there shrinking down, shrinking down, and doing his thing. He finally finds Janet. Adorable moment. Very cute. Old people kissing. Old people kissing. Uh, they enlarge and come out. Janet helps Ghost gain her corporal form again. With just a touch. Ask how she knew how to do it, or it's just new. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to find... I'm looking forward to Quantumania finding out more about Janet. Yeah, because it it is very clear something very, very drastic has happened to her. Yeah. Like, that's that's obviously uh, far beyond, you know, anything that anybody could have expected in outside of being trapped in a quantum world um tiny world with large you know water bears rolling all over the place which is just seems fantastic except for apparently they eat things um like yeah, the people, tardigrades will eat you they will eat you um but that that scene right there is i mean it's beautiful too because it's it's almost poetic within she's being reun- you know reunited with her with her daughter and ghost as much as Hank Pym did not mean for whatever to happen, um, she takes it personally, thinking that Hank Pym had, you know, essentially killed off her dad. So she gives her the gift of life, um, you know, that was taken from her by whom she thought had taken that life from her. And I, I just thought that it was a really beautiful moment. It was like giving a gift um, as if not to be ungrateful. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know that that wasn't conscious, but yeah, it seemed to play off that way. It does. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things that people slam about this movie is that there's not really a true villain in that regard, because like Ghost's motives are obvious. Like obviously, Ghost is a foil 
to an anti-hero. Well, Something not even like, like that, not yeah. even really anti-hero. She's not doing anything heroic in, in any way. No. But she's just she's she's just not a villain because she's not doing anything per or like the one thing she does is like threaten the little girl, and that's where even like uh, that's purely Lawrence, des- and Lawrence Fishburne even puts her in line as like, look, I've had your back through everything, but if you do something to that kid, we're done here. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not cool with that. But that's at, again in a in a situation of pure desperation. Yeah. She's trying to be alive. Right. She's trying to prevent herself from phasing out for good, essentially. So this isn't a matter of any kind of other like person, like like I said, like personal gain. Like I I don't think that her point, even by taking the little girl, was that um, that she was ever going to harm her. No, no, but she just wanted Scott's she, help. Yeah. So I, I I can't even like I said an antihero and you even get to that point, but it's just it's it's altogether different. And there didn't need to be a villain. Thank there you. was that, no reason for it. That was the grander point I wanted to get to is like not every story needs to have like good guy versus bad guy. That's the story. Things can be more complicated than that. Life is gray. We're also talking about two movies that entirely play off of each other. If you wanted to throw them one by or one after one, you could, and you could essentially yeah. call it a three-hour-long movie. Yep. It's not like we're watching two separate, entirely yeah. different incantations of, you know, an Ant-Man journey. Like that's not what this is. This no. is a follow-up, and yes. it is there. It would be absolute overkill if you put an actual villain in that movie. It would suck. Yeah. No, it, it's it just doesn't wouldn't work. work that way. Wouldn't be necessary. No, a couple of different foils, weird different through lines, where they're all crashing into each other. It all works. The chase sequences are great. The comedy is hilarious and consistent. It's, and, it's, sorry, it's why you can put a villain in Quantumania. Yeah. You built up to it. Yeah. No, like the, uh, agreed. This, Quantumania is such a departure from these first two Ant-Man movies, and I'm so excited about that, as much as I love both these movies. It's going to be very interesting to watch how they weave because you still have to have the Ant-Man flavor in there. Of course. But like it's going to be very interesting how they weave in the the gag reel kind of stuff with the like this is intensely serious and this is a this is an Avengers level threat. Right. Like you're we're being introduced not just into any villain, but a uh you know, a legend villain, like somebody that we're going to have for a long time and it's going to cause serious ripples. So I I think you're right in the sense that like It'll be very interesting to see how they start to meld these two, or how they men- or meld them, because it will be integral into the success of how those later movies and series, however, can gets interwoven in between those as well, and how that works. This movie needs to work for Marvel more than most of the past year and a half has. Like oh, this is more far. important for them than any movie has been in a long time. Yeah. Like in a long time, like po- possibly since Endgame. I would say Infinity War is where I would go with because I think Endgame might be taking. Well, I'm not it saying a bit. It, I'm not saying it's to the same stakes as Endgame. Sure, sure. I'm saying the biggest stakes since Endgame. I, I get where you're going. I get that's it. that's all I mean. It's I not. Think, it's not. I'm not saying that the stakes are to the level of Endgame. I'm just saying we haven't had this high of stakes, and I don't mean for the Marvel Cinematic Universe in canon. Mm-hmm. I mean for MCU. In the meta sense, like going forward, yeah. this landing well with people is so important. Because I really feel like the way that they're kind of hyping it up, 
it seems like an Infinity War. It seems yeah. like something like that where you're really getting a huge, huge, huge movie. Um, and I actually feel like it's kind of off the radar for people because it isn't an Ant-Man cloak. Right. Um, I don't think that people were expecting that they could take that with an Ant-Man and be like, yeah, this is going to be a big setup movie. Like a big, like huge, huge, freaking huge, huge. And we're talking about the quantum realm. Quantum, 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 quantum. quantum. Let's get to the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp here because we're, we're yeah. running long already, but I love it because we're on a roll and I love talking about Scott Lang. <laughs> so... Movie basically wraps up with more the van with Hope, or I'm sorry, with Janet and Hank uh, popping up their shrunk down house on a beach somewhere. They seem to be continuing to be on the lam, but perfectly happy at being on the lam. They're fine, whatever. They yeah, got being, each other. Being left alone. Old people love making. They're going to pop a little blue pill and have a nice time that night, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah maybe she can. She maybe doesn't need the blue pill. Ooh, that's true. She's got magic powers now. Yeah, maybe she's going to just give it the old touchy touch and whoop, whoop. And uh, aside from that, we get uh, more. Oh, if we never give a shout out to one of the funniest moments of this movie, world's greatest grandma. World's greatest grandmother. Yes. Uh, Scott, Scott had... Not destroy the Ant-Man suit like he told Hank he had, but in fact had hidden it underneath a trophy that Cassie has that he had bought, that she had gotten for Scott, rather, that says World's Greatest Grandma. Uh, which also ties into... It was the, all they had. Yeah, but it also ties into their, their bond through weird, goofy presence. Uh, yes. I.e. in... Ant Man when he got her the ugly ass rabbit and she it was her favorite she toy for her it. birthday and that's it so it started somewhere we keep a connection to that and it becomes a, a very important connection because of the Ant Man suit underneath it but also again it's just their relationship it's exactly what you'd expect to be they're hilarious together they're both quirky they're funny she is every last bit of what Scott Lang is yep. her personality is exactly his oh uh, yeah. Maybe a little bit smarter, but nonetheless. Maybe just a smidge. Just a smidge. Cassie Lang is the MVP of this movie, though. Oh, she's for me. adorable. Like, you, I've, I'm, my Louise love is well said, and I'll die on that hill as well. But this particular movie, Cassie's only in but a few scenes, but she's my little MVP. I fucking love... I, I, I am very sad we'll never get to see this child play <laughs> this version of the character again. But I'm so happy we got these two movies with her because I think she's so funny. She was. She was hilarious. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Uh, any last thoughts at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp here? I feel like I kind of skipped over something in the ending. Woo get, uh, he, Scott gets off his FBI leash successfully. Woo comes and takes the bracelet anklet off. Men- we mentioned that he asked him if he wants to go to dinner. I think, Awkward exchange. Yeah. No, I think altogether it wrapped up really, really well. Um, we do get our post credit scene. Um, Ex-con gets off the ground because yep. they feed the uh, they feed the foils the truth serum, who then admit to it being truth serum. Another very funny scene, and their story gets all over the news that they helped with this takedown, and they get mad clients. Ex-con takes off, takes off, and then we get to our post-credit scene where you know obviously it sets up the uh, you know events that we're all very familiar with. Um, and Infinity War and or an Endgame reminder that this is this movie did come out in the gap between Infinity War and Endgame, right? And uh, you know Scott ends up getting into the quantum realm, and uh, everybody gets dusted, so he's stuck there, and that's where we leave off. Well, that's true. It is, 
and then we pop up in the end game. So the first, you know, we'll skip the whole end game rundown. We'll just do the Scott Lang relevant parts of the movie because it's three hours long and we're already an hour and a half into this recording. Yeah, probably not necessary. So, uh, well, we'll just give you the Scott Lang relevant stuff in end game. Yeah, tacos. Yeah, tacos. First scene we get with Scott is him busting out of the quantum tunnel built into the van. Yes. Um, they, well, at the end, we'd seen that they'd built a more portable version into the van, so they didn't need the whole huge lab anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he pops out of that, find, finds that he's in like a repo garage, essentially, in the back of this van. Um, goes out, and the streets look exactly like everything ba- of a post-apocalyptic world would look like. Just trash everywhere on the streets. Like He's walking through the neighborhood he's in, and things look grim. The only he asks a kid what happened who's riding by on his bike, and he just gives him the dirtiest look and keeps riding. The only thing I can say about the van, by the way, though, does the quantum tunnel shrink? Does it shrink down to like a tiny thing or something like that? Because it did, that van, I, how would it end up well, in a repo yard like that? The quantum tunnel has to shrink because it was in the building that used to shrink. Eh, fair enough. Okay. So it has to shrink with whatever it's contained in, I suppose. All right, all right. <laughs> I just figured something like that, somebody might find it. But nonetheless, no, it's anyways. just in a repo garage. No one bothered breaking because the van's so trashy looking that people wouldn't assume there's a million dollars worth of quantum technology inside, I guess. I would. I'd go into it. Smart man. For sure. For sure. Like a billion dollars. I, I can't imagine something like that's uh, very cheap. But either way, very grim. He, he very goes up. on a sprint. He finds an in memoriam wall to the people lost. He finds his name on it doesn't find his daughter's name on it so then runs to her house we get one of my favorite scenes in endgame where she opens the door and they both cry and she he touches her face and he goes you're so big that was rough rough man rough uh so that's a that's the only time we ever see that cassie is in that scene and then the very end of the movie for another second but she gets all of like one line and a giggle and then she gets replaced for the quantumania coming up but uh, Cassie 2.0, we'll call this actress. And uh, then he goes and to try to help the gang. So he goes to the Avengers facility and he finds Cap and Black Widow hanging out, catching up, being sad boys together. Very sad. Like they're both, they're both just sad. They're both sad. Cap, we had find out, has become a grief counselor. She's running the show at this point as far as Avengers HQ goes. She's in meetings with off-planet people and with Rhodes and with Rocket and doing their thing. And he comes along and they were like, isn't he dusted? No, I guess not. Bring him in. And he explains everything. And that maybe we can go back. Maybe there's time travel. And they kind of laugh at him at first, but they decide to go on a little road trip to the smartest person they know. The whole back to the future thing. That's right. That's where that uh, that whole thing gets introduced again, because you know Scott's smart, but uh, obviously movie smart there. Yeah, <clears throat> you know he's not like his, uh, you know, like uh, Mister Pym there, where he can actually explain what the hell is actually going on in a scientific way. Right. Scott just explains it the way that he can possibly explain it. Yeah. So that's it. it really leads us into that and starts us. You know, really kind. Of, what's funny is yet again. For as much as we put these Ant-Man movies as being like low stakes, they pretty much solve a lot of problems and kind of, I guess we're about to see with maybe... Oh, Scott Lang saves half the population of the universe. Where it becomes, yeah, and we don't talk about that enough. 
Yeah, agreed. So they go to Tony, present this plan that he eventually calls a time heist to Tony. Tony expresses how nice it is to see everybody, and it seems like he genuinely means it. Uh, after five years of space away from Steve, um, those wounds seem like there's some healing that's taken place, but you know it's certainly awkward between those two in that moment. Yeah. Then, you know, we'll skip past some of the most adorable shit in film history. I love you 3000, all the stuff with Pork and et cetera. Fast forward to we've gotten Hulk in the cut. Oh, smart Hulk, I should say. And uh, we've got so Bruce and the gang are at the Avengers facility working on this time heist idea. Want to describe what happens in their first trial run? Scott becomes the focal point of the entire movie. And uh, basically... Always was. <laughs> goes in and out of different forms or variations of human life. Goes uh, from being an old man to, to a, a baby. baby. pisses himself. Or may have not... He's not sure which iteration of himself pissed <laughs> I himself. I think I peed myself. I don't know if it was old me <laughs> or, or baby, baby me. me or... Me, me. <laughs> That's my favorite part is that or me, yeah. me. So, yeah, e- essentially. Ex- <laughs> Bruce just says time travel. It, it, my favorite part about this is that Scott at no point really a- ever questions trying it. Like Bruce Banner, by all means, is an incredibly smart human being or Hulk or whatever he is at this point. Um, but he doesn't question any of that. No. Like, yeah, you could definitely just. It poof off into nothing but he's cool with it and instead what we get is just a montage of different scott langs at different yeah. points of life which are fucking hilarious so very funny bit i i do rather enjoy that little bit and then they take a break and tony pulls up and <laughs> reveals that he basically figured it out on accident well, it doesn't yeah. really tell them this part, but we, we see the scene prior where he kind of just messes around with something and then says, invert this thing sideways. Oh, my God, I figured it out. I figured out time travel. <laughs> oh, boom. Look at that. I accidentally figured out time this travel. I'm going to go eat popsicles with my kid now. Right. says that the pepper is like, yeah, I think I, uh, think I did it. Get figured out time travel. Like, just nonchalantly. <laughs> yeah. Now, first, uh, what, so what's new with composting? Oh, well, no, it's really interesting and blah, blah, blah. I think I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like the question proceeding of what's new with composting. He cared, though. He, well, you know, that's Tony at his most evolved form at the he, end there. This is a Tony that had given up the hero life for the love of his life and has his family now. And like, yeah, he's we, a family man. We, we know he doesn't give a fuck about composting, but he cares about Pepper enough to ask her. That's right. Good man. But anyways, back to Scott. Back to Scott. So we've got Big Bad Scott now. He's back with the Avengers. He's rolling with the big boys. Rolling with the big boys. God, Hank, I just love to see him here. Yeah, and then we, so uh, once they kind of start formulating the plan, they get more of the big Avengers in the fold. They they start working out where the stones are in the timeline and all that jazz. Oh, I'm sorry. They they, they send uh, old Hawkeye back in time to test it. <laughs> And he hears his daughter's voice and then snaps back. And they're like, oh, my God, that's a work. We can fucking do, we can travel in time now. Wow. Yeah, they get these cool wristbandy things. He's outside and... eating tacos and a spaceship rolls up and blows all the taco filling out of his tacos. 
And Bruce nicely hands him one of his, which is a you know very kind move. Very Obama stay. Very Obama stay. <laughs> God damn it! Oh man, uh, that taco bit just cracks me up. It's just like such a funny little side scene that's just like so stupid but so funny. It, it sticks in my head for some reason. Yeah. though. I I remember it every single time that we start talking about this. I'm like, oh yeah, taco scene. Tacos. Yeah. Yeah, and then fast forward because there's a bunch of not Scott relevant stuff for a while. And it's time to travel through time. And Scott's part of the team going back to the events of the Avengers. So he goes back with Tony, Steve, and Bruce. It's just those three and him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then you've got other crews going to other destinations in time. They're there to retrieve two stones. In that moment, they need to get the sector they need to get the uh scepter mm-hmm. and they need to get the mind stone not the mind stone the blue one it's a stone they get one of the stones well they're <laughs> they're trying to get stones um some things go haywire loki basically disappears with one of them they get the other one successfully well yada yada through america's ass and through some other iconic stuff that happens here and he basically is left standing there confused as Steve and Tony figure out one other place they could go where they can both get a couple more pin particles to make an extra trip out of it and get the stone they need. But they're going to have to be precise about it. And meanwhile, he's, Scott's just confused the whole time. And they basically just say, hey, let the big boys handle it. Go back. We'll meet you there. Yes, sir. Fast forward through their mission, through some heartbreak as Nat dies and all, and other things go right and other things go wrong and through some real healing by Thor and just all sorts of other emotional stuff. We land back and everyone thinks we accomplished the mission. God, we did it, guys. We got all the stones. We fucking did it. Hell yeah. High fives about yada, yada, yada. Uh, some male flexing on each other. I'll do it. I'm the most powerful and blah, blah, blah. And then Bruce steps up with the brains. He's like, no, this thing is gamma. I'm gamma. It's like I was built for this. And uh, Scott, I I like Scott's use in this episode. Bruce steps up, snaps his fingers. And then they take the roof thing off. And Scott's looking around outside and seeing a bunch of birds and stuff. And Clint gets a call from his wife. And everyone's like, oh, my God, we fucking did it. And then a giant missile drops in because they had brought back the wrong nebula. And that's how we get a big, bad final fight. Huge fight ensues eventually. Uh, So, um, as mentioned, the Pims had all been snapped away in the five years in the Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Hope comes back in the big final scene after being snapped back. He and Hope have a cute scene. She refers to him as Cap. They smirk at each other. The van is there as as their uh, quantum tunnel. Big fight ensues. Tony, of course, makes sacrifice play and stuff. uh, This part's less Scott-centric at the end. End game. End game. That's the movie right that's there. That. That's that's <laughs> what we got to see. Through the prism of Scott Lang. Through the prism of Scott Lang. Uh, and then his last moment is he's he's left standing. He's left sitting on a porch with Hope and with uh, with why am I blanking on his dog? Cassie. Cassie. How did I just stumble on Cassie's name after saying it like twelve other times on know. this podcast already? Anyway, 
Yeah, I guess that's a sign that it's 11.30 at night. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of cute scenes, by the way, we didn't really, uh, at the end of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Hope, Cassie, and Scott. Oh, sitting in the little Hot Wheels it, it, car? Yeah, in the Hot Wheels car in the, the little makeshift drive-in theater on the Ant. Yeah, watching a movie on a laptop in the Hot Wheels car. It's wonderful. Great little, bu- good shout, buddy. Good very shout. Cute. Yeah, very cute ending in the first Ant-Man movie. And that's where, uh, what is it, Cassie had, had told her, uh, that she wanted to be daddy's um, sidekick, yep. but he didn't want her. He wanted hope. Yep. And oh. but she accepts it in that moment. She's like, yeah. "I guess, I guess you're a good one to have if it can't be me." Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Adorable. Adorable. Um, just <laughs> what a wonderful, just heartwarming scene. I I didn't want to leave that one out of here. So no, good shot, buddy. I, yeah. I'm glad you pulled us back to that for sure. But, uh, but yeah, no, the three of them sitting on a porch have a nice little moment. You know, there's like the teenage version, like I said, Cassie 2.0 at this version, but nonetheless, and that's his big ending in the movie. Yep. And, and that's where we last saw him until now. Now. And that's where we, uh, that's where we're going now. We've gone this far down the rabbit hole, guys. That's right. You followed us here. You did it. So um, before we dabble with Quantumania thoughts, because... We laid out a lot of our Quantumania speculation a couple weeks ago on our prediction episode. That, yes, we did. that dropped two weeks ago, in fact, if you're listening to this today. That just came out two weeks ago, so check it out. Um, so we won't we won't double down on a bunch of Quantumania predictions because we already laid we we spent twenty minutes on it in that episode. If you want to hear our thoughts on Quantumania, go back there. Yes. Um I guess what I really want to talk about next is the people of influence. Let, let's talk about the other characters that influence Scott the heaviest along the journey here. Well, Luis is his best friend. I think that that's just... A great best friend to boot. Great bre- great breast... Good Breast Lord. friend. Great best friend. Um, people that were of influence and of note along the way, obviously. You know, one of his uh, co-workers at X-Con. Um, Cassie's stepdad. Um, Cassie's mother. Um Funny, like I said, they're big supporters of Scott. You know, I think that they were uh, really there for his uh, upglow, and yeah. it was great to see that. Um, and obviously, Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym <clears throat> are like, uh, strangely enough, uh, basically like, uh, you know, as much as Hope is his love interest, but like a family to him. As much as, you know, Hank can be an old grouch, he's like a dad figure to him. Yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah. Um, you can see that dynamic between the two of them. It's actually kind of cute. It's what makes it funny. Um, Very much so. I agree with that. Because you can tell Hank doesn't hate Scott. He doesn't no, no, dis- no. I don't even think he dislikes Scott. I just think he has to be that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would say that those are probably your main circle of influence, um, at least within the characters that we're kind of discussing here. I can't think of anybody outside of that really. No, that... I mean, so the, the core is basically the XCOM crew, the Van Dyne slash Hank. Yeah. That's, and Cassie. That's pretty much and, the fa- and yeah. his family. So you got like those three sides of his life more or less represented when you, when you talk about his most influential peeps. But the catalyst is Cassie. Sure. And it's the X Factor. She's the X Factor, and she's actually the part of Quantumania we talked about the least. So I think I, I think the last part I'd like to wrap up on is discussing the level of influence that their relationship is going to have on Quantumania, and why I, that's going to break our hearts extra hard. 
Well, I think it's obvious. I mean, honestly, it, it's the, his, if you want to say it's his weakness, it's his kryptonite. It's the, I mean, it's the Aunt May to Peter Parker. It's the one thing that he cares about more than anything else in his life. Like that's, it, that at, at, at any point that's his true north, you know, that's his sure. north star. Like Cassie is everything to him. She's given him a second chance um, at having a normal life. You know, because being a father is honestly as great as he is, at, or as Ant Man, he's a better father. Like, yeah, he he really does bloom into being everything that she needs him to be. So, <clears throat> obviously, if you're a villain, what is the one thing that you take away from somebody to try to ruin them? And if they're threatening, because let's right. be real, that's that's what's I, I think in some form. Kang isn't threatening. He's not threatened, but there it's 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 a threat to him and what he's yeah. doing. So that would be the you know that's what's that's why this is gonna break our heart because Cassie, we're gonna see her start to grow up, and Scott's gonna have to make decisions. I think Scott dies in this movie. I do too. I uh, <clears throat> I don't even know if I hope not. Because if it's a well done story, then this can be a great ending for Scott Lang and like that fine in its own way i'll miss paul rudd and i'll miss the character but if it's done well then it can really work we're finishing out the (laughs) primary og avenger gang like you just watched thor basically you know for the most part kind of start to drop off and what he's doing and how much of a focal point he is um obviously tony um, I would expect, I don't think that with, with Bruce, I think that that's the hope with She-Hulk is that eventually She-Hulk can start yeah, to become more popular. And I, I would, I would say I agree with you. If not for the ending of Scar, Sklar, or what's his son's name again? I can't remember his son's <laughs> so, name. Yeah. I'm not going there. I'm um, not even going to try it. He's got a son now who's also a Hulk. So like correct, but I also those implications. It seems more like it also seemed more like a gag. Not that it wasn't really his son, but like I don't know. Uh, Anyways, but I think we're gonna get more of that dynamic. But I think they're gonna continue. So because of the way movie rights are going, Universal still technically owns the rights to a Hulk movie proper, Mm -hmm. but Disney owns the rights to use can use him as a side character in other things. And can do TV stuff with him, so like I guess, yeah, like I said, we could. I think they'll just keep using adjacent Hulk stories because Mark Ruffalo will just keep doing these. (laughs) Also, let's be real, like Mark Ruffalo will just keep making these fucking movies if they keep writing the paychecks. He'll keep cashing the paychecks. You know, all that's all this is leading to is a somehow they mash together the Hulk and Wong in a whole series. It's just be. Bruce Banner and Wong. Just the two guys that will always take the paycheck if we offer it. Yeah, because why not? Dude, fuck yeah. But Good on him. I guess, like you said, so let's just say Bruce Banner excluded uh, Steve Rogers. Yeah, I mean, your, right. your no, the, main the guy. The gang is mostly gone. The OG gang is mostly gone. We're looking to pass the torch here. You know, Disney hasn't hidden from it. They're definitely setting up. And I'm not saying this in a negative way. No, Because I know that's not. how it looks, but like younger 
female roles like they are that's that's the way that this and not exclusively i mean like that's no not exclusively there's there's younger male heroes being introduced and stuff as well but there's been there's a lot of great empowered female roles going out right now this movie's another one so i will uh, yeah i'm not saying that i even have any kind of sort of problem with i actually like it i know you're not i I want to see where they're going with it so it just furthers that that thought process to me though uh, where ganging, you know, having more of a gang that way, um, of a different of a different type, not a male dominated, you know, brooding force of whatever you want to call it. You know what right. I mean? So I, I think that, like I said, it would only make sense for Scott to kick the can here. And I think uh, honestly, it's it's a well told story at this point. Yeah. I, it, to continue carrying it on almost does him. Uh, disservice no this would be a tremendous high note for the character of scott lang to be mostly gone on and keep in mind that a character dying in the mcu doesn't mean we'll absolutely never see them again anyway because the multiverse exists and all these things secret wars is coming like there there's ways it's near the end it means we won't see them much anymore but like it almost seems like we might actually see multiple different versions of scott lang in this so yeah that you know that's the again something we can delve into a different time but like i i just don't see a world where he makes it through this or where that would make the movie better for him to end up being alive at the end is as grim and awful as that sounds right as this movie is so important going forward and yeah if we can get a big climactic paul rudd death out of it mm. Man, I mean, that's that's going to be sad, but it's going to be juicy entertainment for us as an audience. And uh, I'm looking forward to crying. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'll I'll do it. You guys, uh, I'm all over this movie. I'm I'm through the moon about it. And all of your points about Cassie are extremely valid. I'm also thrilled at the actress taking over the role. I know I said that a couple weeks ago on our preview show, but I. I I still am very excited to see. I think there's a very talented young actress that is taking on the Cassie role long term. It would seem. Hey, she's taking over for Paul Rudd. Right. Yeah. This. This they is the. This fill. is the mantle being passed along because even a va- an actress of Evangeline Lilly's stature probably isn't trying to do a million more Marvel movies either. No, probably not. But I mean, she also seems to be pretty cool with it. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I will see her again. I'd imagine, but it's. It's an interesting time for the Lang squad and the Pym squad and the Van Dynes. Kang is coming. Oh, and he's coming. He's coming hard. Coming hard. <laughs> and uh, coming hard is a good of a line to end on as any. So I want to thank you all for listening so much to Morons of the Multiverse. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at that same handle, at Morons of the Multiverse. We're uh, coming. We're coming for you. <laughs> and we're coming hard. Oh, so hard. Um, You know, like, follow, subscribe, give the five stars, click, clack, do those things. It feels good to support podcasters. Podcasters work so hard. You should support us. We're desperate. We just want you to listen. Yeah, we got to watch a lot of shit to do this. We do. We, we sit around and watch our favorite movies and television. It's difficult. It's terrible. Support us while we do it. Actually, yeah, it's terrible. And check out the other fun stuff here at Good Fun Media. Every Thursday, we have After the Laugh Track, dropping sitcom fandom, uh, ranging from our favorite binge-worthy shows, 
rankings of specific things such as favorite weddings in sitcom history, stuff like that. Large variety of topics on sitcoms there. D2B2 Sports every Friday. Ranging topics include sports gambling, sports shenanigans, other weird malarkey and non-sensory that unfolds. Uh, we also, if one of the first episodes of Morons of the Multiverse, in fact, was a crossover with D2B2 Sports where we did a hero draft where we drafted heroes from the Marvel Universe to build a fantasy football team. So if you want to hear that shenaniganry, check that out. Dive back in either of the show's archives to find it. It's good, and it's fun, and it's media. <laughs> all three. Yeah, all three words. And it, three for three, nailing it. We're on fire over here. It's hard. And uh, lastly, keep an eye out for a friend of mine from from the After the Laugh Track uh, group there, Eric has his video game podcast returning soon, the Autosave Podcast. Check that out if you uh, want to hear him talk about video games. Oh, yeah. All I, right, all I think right, that's all, all the right. stuff. All right, all right. Ow. <laughs> oh, cat attack. Getting bitten by a kitten. Oh, I got attacked like three different times throughout this recording. She's, she's an adorable little feisty one. She's got me all fucked up. Yeah, man, she, she got me pretty good at one, actually, at one point during this recording. Yeah, she comes over and, like, lays on your lap, and she's all cute, and then all of a sudden you're getting freaking fangs in your goddamn arm. If you want to see this adorable cat, find us on social media. You'll see pictures there. Mochi! Mochi! Peace. Peace. That new joint hit. Yeah. Just can't quit. Gotta, Gotta get, get jiggy, jiggy with it. it. That's, that's it. it. We don't have to keep watching Liam Neeson make action movies. Like, we don't have to do this, ladies and gentlemen. Like, as a society, we just, we keep choosing to, but we don't have to. Some people speak small about him. And for gosh sake, watch your language. The Rock Woman. My name's Johnny Knoxville, this is my buddy Thanos. Don't you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! It's a weird world we find we're living in these days, but we gotta do it. <laughs> uh, to be fair, Sony wanted it to be good. <laughs> I don't think they did. You cannot talk! One more word. And I will feed you to my children. It's beautiful. We knew you were gonna betray us, so we built this whole plan around you doing it! What? You know what's crazy? That's really not too far off from a plot of Dr. Phil. God, that's such a bad joke. I love you for that so much. <laughs> your ass. Steve, you said a bad language word. It's fine. Not even a big deal. Barely kidnapped. He may or may not also have a ship that he flies around primarily for orgies and stuff. Fartistic. And he tells me about this girl, Emily, that we used to kick it with. It was actually the first pair of boobs that I ever touched. And it's like club cold play. Ugh. Dude, it's so bad. Because like... it's just going to be Mike fucking mattresses. Gary, you son of a bitch. Oh, you kiss your mother with that mouth? Today, we're doing Porta Potty Ski Slope. I'm kidding, we are vegetarians. <laughs> All right. Wow. Wow. All right. Wow. Cut the chat.